0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, host of the Riderflex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job, recruiting firm Riderflex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The Rider Flex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free, routine maintenance inspection. And never worry about your maintenance again.
0: Ashley first on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Ashley. How you doing?
2: Hello, I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Thank you for joining me and anxious to talk a little bit more about breakthrough. We had Stacey, uh, one of the co-founders on the podcast a while back. So um, get a bunch of updates from you. I'm uh, yeah. curious to to know what you guys are doing. I know breakthrough, right? Breakthrough helps people um, getting out of prison stay out of prison. <laughs> Correct.
2: Yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes.
0: I don't know if that's a fancy way to say it, but that's basically what you guys do, right? You you help mm-hmm. them with their transition.
2: Yes. Yeah. We provide an in facility educational program that um, addresses soft skills, job readiness, reentry planning, and the entrepreneurial mindset, and it ultimately gets people ready to come home um, and be successful combined with that wraparound care um, supportive services that we offer when someone is ultimately released.
0: Awesome. I want to get into all of that more, but first I want to know about Ashley, the person, tell us about you, tell the listeners about you. Let's start back with parents and siblings and where you grew up if you don't mind.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, So I was born in Orlando, Florida Uh, I'm not a crazy Floridian. I always have to give that disclaimer because Florida is wild nowadays, Um, but I was born in Orlando. Um, I have a younger sister who is actually out here in Colorado with me in Castle Pines. And then I have um, an older brother and sister from when my dad was married before he met my mom. Um, So I'm kind of like, I'm the oldest in my mom's, um, you know my mom and my dad's marriage and then um, kind of in the middle when you put all the kids uh, together. But born in Orlando, um, moved up to Maryland in about 1997, lived in Baltimore uh, for a little while, and then uh, moved out here to Colorado in 2017. So um, my parents met out here in Colorado Springs when my dad was working for the Air Force Academy. So we have kind of a deep connection to Colorado I love it out here
0: I see I see okay that's the whole Colorado connection got it yeah all right mm-hmm. uh your mom and dad still with us
2: uh my dad passed away in 2015 but my mom is still um uh, still with us yeah
0: okay yeah uh and where's your mom live
2: she is in Indiana right now but she comes out pretty frequently uh to visit my sister and I my sister has three kids so uh, okay. she likes to come out and see the kids when she can
0: okay did your mom remarry after your dad or no?
2: She did, yeah, she did. She got remarried a couple years ago. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. okay,
0: yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yep, she got
2: yeah, she got remarried a couple years ago. Um, you know they like I said they live in Indiana, but they come out and visit um when they can.
0: Okay. All right, sounds good. And yourself, married, kids, partners, single? What's what's going on with <laughs>
2: Ashley? Uh, I am divorced. I have one dog. No children um she costs me as much money as a child sometimes though. So, but um <laughs> so yeah just one dog i'm divorced um as a yeah. result of what i'm sure we'll get into momentarily but yeah, yeah so um well,
0: any 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 current relationships or you want do you want to do you want to market yourself? Do you want to give yeah. your, 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 your handle on one of the dating apps or something? Yeah.
2: I'm not on the apps because I just keep hearing horror stories about them. My <laughs> friends tell me all about them and I'm like, I'm good. I am good. So I'm single. <laughs> yes.
0: Can you imagine? Uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be single at my age. God forbid anything ever happened to me and my wife. Yeah, please. No, please. No. I, Cause I know some <laughs> guys my age that are single and
2: it's rough.
0: Does it suck? Does it does it's, it suck, it's, Ashley?
2: It's rough. It's pretty rough. Yeah. These apps like open this whole new type of like, like people just cheating on their significant others. Like it's, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen on there, I'm like, this is, I'm good. I'm good on the apps. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't want to be single. Um, A lot of crazy people out there. I've heard so many, especially for for women, at least I think what I've been told is, something like, uh, 80, I can't, I don't know if this is a real stat, but something like 80% of the engagement is male to female. Hmm. So, so, so if you're a female, you're getting just, you're getting just hammered with, with, with all kinds of guys trying to have conversations, but there's not a lot of female traffic to males is is what I've heard. And yeah. so this, this creates this, uh, situation where guys are desperate, right? They're sending out all these, they're sending out all these messages and it's constantly sending out these messages. They can't get any reaction.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there is one app. Um, it's called Bumble, which is was designed by women. Um, they're oh. based in Austin, Texas Okay. and, um, they're a really cool company. And, but the app was designed for women to make the first move. So like, you can match with someone on it, but a woman the woman has to reach out first, yeah, in order to start the conversation.
0: Okay, well, if I were you and I was going to use one, that's the one I would use.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, very good. Uh, and you you live in Denver? You're from you're in the Denver area.
2: Yeah, I'm in Westminster, so right between Denver and Boulder. Yeah.
0: Okay, very good. So, give us a little bit uh, about your your personal story. And the things that have happened to you, I, I, you know, share, share the journey if
2: you don't mind, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, normal in that sense, you know, I had, um, I went to private school when I was younger. Um, both of my parents were around for the most part. Um, my dad did cheat on my mom, uh, for about five years,
0: which is why they ended up divorced.
2: Yes, and they right. ended up getting divorced. Um uh at the time my dad blamed it on me. He said that it was my fault my mom was never around because oh. my mom had to take me to horse shows. I grew up riding horses. Um so I was very lucky. Um I you know had that experience growing up. Um unfortunately it was kind of thrown back in my face when you know you're 14, you can't really drive yourself to horse shows. So my you mom know, had I've to heard- take me to places. I've-
0: I have heard all kinds of excuses for people cheating on each other. That's a new one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a yeah. new one.
0: My, I'm blaming my kid because my kid went to horse shows and that's why my spouse wasn't around. So that's why I cheated. Like, really, yeah. really yeah. dad. I would have been yeah. like Dad, Come on. Really?
2: Yeah. Before he passed away, we did, we did talk about it. Um, So it was, you know, something that the air was cleared and, you know, he recognized that was not something you should say about, you know, a young girl. Um, did he say,
0: did he say I was wrong? I'm sorry.
2: He did. Yes. He absolutely okay, well, did. All right. Yeah. Ryan, that that yeah. helps. Yes, for sure. Um, so you know, my parents did separate for a little bit. Um, my dad actually, and this I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because it's relevant um to the rest of my story. My dad worked for um a company called, used to be called Wackenhut, now it's called Geo Corporation. Uh, and they own private, they run private prisons, um, across the country. And then when we moved to Maryland in 1997, he started working for, uh, an organization called youth services international that ran juvenile justice facilities. Um, and that will all come back into play in a little bit, but, um, you know, I grew up normal. Like I said, I went to private school. I got to ride horses growing up, you know, I had books in my home. Um, There's no violence, you know, no excessive drinking, you know, anything like that. Um, faith? I, any faith
0: in there? Any religion in there?
2: No, we weren't. We weren't okay. super religious. Okay. Um, right. When I was younger, we would go to church like on Christmas Eve and stuff. But I'm Episcopalian, okay. but we never it was okay. never like a big right. part of our family dynamics. And or your anything. mom and dad,
0: were, your mom and dad weren't boozers or drug addicts or anything?
2: No, okay. no, no. All right. No. All right. Um, so I went Um. I went to college. I started college at the University of Delaware.
0: Now, before that, though, before you went to college, were you a good high school kid or were you in trouble a lot? Were you? No, I was good.
2: I was the weird horse girl, remember, because I rode horses. Yeah, yeah. OK. So, all right. All right. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> I was
2: the weird horse girl that was always at horse shows and, okay. um, you know, going out and, and doing all of that stuff. Um, okay. So, I, you know, I didn't go out and party. I didn't, you know, do any of that. I was always riding horses on the weekend. So I stayed out of trouble. All right. Um after I graduated high school, I started college at the university of Delaware and, you know, I was your typical freshman, right. You know, going out and, you know, thirsty Thursdays and like all of that stuff. Um, And I ended up taking a break between my sophomore and junior year um, where I actually went and worked for the farm where I had my horse still. So I worked for them, traveled around to horse shows, you know, learned a lot in, in that industry. That's um, nice. That's cool. yeah. And then my parents said I had to go back <laughs> and finish my college degree. So I, um, I, instead of going back to Delaware, I actually finished my degree at Towson university, um, which is in Towson, Maryland, just outside of Baltimore. Okay. I, I was an English major, um, with a psych minor. So, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that degree so you know a lot of people say that they want to be teachers or go on some people even use their english degree to go on and be you know a lawyer or anything but i was kind of like i don't really know what i want to do so i worked in a restaurant for a little while um and it was there
0: after your bachelor's degree or during school
2: Um, after my bachelor's degree. Okay. All right. Yeah. I started as a server and then I, I ended up, um, being promoted to being a manager. One of the Were you you living
0: at home or already out of the house, living with friends?
2: Um, I live for the first year I worked at the restaurant. I was still living with my mom and then my now ex-husband, he and I were dating at the time. So, um, then we eventually moved. We eventually moved in uh, um, okay. together right. during that time. Yeah. Moved
0: in with your boyfriend working at the yep. restaurant. Okay. Yep. Got it.
2: Yep. Yep. And so, um, if you know anything about the restaurant industry, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of, a lot of, yeah. a lot of
0: all kinds of stuff. I I yeah. uh, read, I read the book kitchen confidential from yes. Anthony Bourdain. So yes, I
2: yeah. understand. Yes. So, um, that was kind of where I was introduced to cocaine for the first time. Um, right. you know, I was and- going out, I was drinking a lot, um, just thinking about it it's so cringe because i hate i was hungover all the time right it's miserable being hungover like that but i still i was still young enough where i could like function sure you know like a normal human being if i tried if uh, i tried to go sure. out now it would be yeah. terrible um, <laughs> um
0: uh mar- marijuana and cocaine any other drugs in there
2: Uh no just those two and drinking of course you know yeah. to kind of combat that you never um, you never
0: stepped into acid or heroin or anything no
2: no okay no, all right all right yeah all right all yeah. right, go ahead yeah. And so boyfriend, boyfriend
0: was doing the drugs with you.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So and
0: every and everybody else at the restaurant.
2: Yeah. And everyone. Yeah. All the friends, you know, this <laughs> is that was normal. Right. So like far. Part of the so far. Right?
0: Yeah. So far. What you've said is not completely abnormal. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you know, that that story goes probably with, I don't know, 50 percent of the people listening to this podcast. So but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So then I, um, you know, after about a year of managing the restaurant, I was like, you know, I have this bachelor's degree like I don't want to work in a restaurant for the rest of my life and but Um,
0: now you're the manager
2: yes I was one of the managers and so I uh found a job as an administrative director I was basically like an office manager for a lobbyist group for the equine industry uh that was based in Washington DC perfect so yeah I started working there um but now mind you like the drinking and the drugs are still kind of a part of my life because i was still young and you know going out and um you know i still had all that same that same friend group right Um, now let's take a pause
0: right let's take a pause right here are we talking hammered every night or Mm -hmm. we're talking hammered once a week are we talking lines of cocaine during the day at work like Mm -hmm. what what stage are you in
2: right so in the in the beginning stages it was you know maybe going out like once twice a week you know maybe okay. on like thursday night and saturday night or okay. something like that um, still somewhat
0: normal by the way with that still,
2: yes yes and then it eventually it really got bad in around 2013 um where i was doing cocaine pretty regularly like on a daily basis um daily like I, you get up
0: in the morning you do a hit you do mm-hmm. some at lunch you're, you're mm-hmm. okay all right
2: yeah, yeah. Um, so I was definitely like a a functioning addict in that, in that sense. Um, Can I ask
0: right there, how you, how you were affording it? Because it wasn't super cheap. How'd you, how'd you pay for it?
2: (laughs) Ah, that's where the story gets interesting. So, (laughs) so, um, you know, part of my role at this organization I worked at was I oversaw their books and I had access to their bank accounts. Um, and as you said, drugs are expensive. So Mm. I would pay all my bills but then not have enough money to buy drugs or I would have bought too many drugs and then I wouldn't have the ability to pay my bills. So um I remember the day I made the very fateful decision, terrible decision um to use my employer's account to pay one of my bills. That's your and, first made
0: that's your first major step over the line right there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I knew what I was was doing was wrong. And I kept telling myself like, you have to stop this. You have to stop this. But my addiction was so bad. Um, I would say at one point I was doing about an eight ball of cocaine, like every couple of days. Uh, it's a wow. miracle. I'm not dead quite wow. frankly. Wow. Um, but, I went to the let's... dentist one time and they sent me to the ER because my blood pressure was so high and they're like, you're going to stroke out. And that was my like, Oh shit. Like, um and this is after it had been going on for probably about five years or so, five so from like years. twenty yeah so from like you know, 2013 me, to 2018 it was really bad
0: let me ask a couple of questions when you started stealing from the place there basically
1: mm-hmm.
0: was your boyfriend in the loot? did he know you were doing this and was he no no
2: nope. he had no idea we got married during this time period um whoa whoa whoa, whoa whoa
0: whoa you're working at this place you have this now you have a major addiction you're starting to steal from your employer you get engaged you have a wedding your mom and dad's there family's around and nobody at this point knows that you have a major problem
2: no I mean I felt like I was hiding it you know how I mean you know addiction is you feel like you're hiding it really well but I definitely think some people closest to me suspected there was a problem
0: well, your boyfriend didn't your boyfriend's yeah. like
2: he and he absolutely did he he would say things to me like you know we can't go out without you having to do cocaine or like it's always you know can we call someone and um you know so then I just hit it right I just hit it from him I see um yeah right. you know we didn't okay. we didn't share a bank account like we had everything was separate for for all even when we were married um, we kept everything separate. That was okay. one thing my dad was always like: make sure you have your own stuff. Not a bad um, idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, when we got married, we didn't combine our bank accounts or credit cards or anything. Unfortunately, like
0: unfortunately for you, it was e- that made it easier for you to hide your expense situation.
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. It did. All right. So um, you're at
0: this. You're at this job. You're starting. Starting to get worse. You're starting to steal. Then what happens?
2: Mm-hmm. So, um, June 25th, 2018, I um, went into work that one day. So I should clarify, I moved out to Colorado in 2017 and I continued to work remotely for that organization, kind of traveling back like every few weeks or so for your, still with your husband. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so June 25th, 2018, I was in DC. I had traveled back, um, to, you know, work in the office for a few days and, um, I knew, I knew I just, I was ready for it to be over Um, one of, so basically um, the bank had alerted uh, the president of the company that something was weird with the bank account. Um, And I was honestly to the point where I was like, I want this to be over. Like I know what I'm doing is this terrible thing. I'm hurting a lot of people. Um, And so I went into work on that day and um, the cops came. I wasn't arrested. They just escorted me out. Um, and then I immediately flew back home to Colorado, uh, hired an attorney to, you know, help me. I was a, I was fortunate enough to be able to hire an attorney, um, to do that. And, uh, let me pause pause
0: for a minute. Let me pause for a minute. I want to visualize this whole thing. You drive into work that day Were the cops already there.
2: No. So I had come into work, um, I got there around like eight a.m. and then um, the president of the organization, maybe I think she came in around like nine or so. And I heard her pick up the phone and call someone. And I just, I just knew, I knew. And so I was it, sitting in the office, like working. And um, the DC cops came in, and they're like, they walked you know,
0: into your, they walked into your office. Mm-hmm. Did you meet? Did you, did you break down? Did you immediately break down and start crying?
2: No, I did not. I think I was kind of. I mean, I was expecting it and I, I was relieved, honestly, because I knew what I was doing was so messed up.
0: Did, did, they didn't say you're under arrest.
2: No, I, because, um, I think at the time, like, I mean, she had evidence of course, of what I was doing, but they just wanted me out of there. Did she,
0: okay. But did she say you're fired and I'm having these people escort you out of the building?
2: Yeah, basically that was what she said. I yeah. got you. Yeah. Okay. So I oh. left. Um,
0: did she say, I'm th- firing you for theft?
2: I don't remember, honestly. Um, I remember parts of that day. I don't remember what her exact, like what she I'm said to me. I'm curious, ex-
0: curious whether or not she said, Ashley, how could you do this to me? Blah, blah, blah. Any of that? Yeah,
2: No, none of that. Um, okay. All right. None of that. But uh, yeah. so you so, get on the
0: plane. Let me guess, you do a line of cocaine at the no, airport parking lot. Before no, you go I did plane. not. No, that <laughs> I did not do.
2: Um <laughs> by then by then I had actually kind of like I would say in 20 in the beginning of 2018 I really started to like be like okay you've got to stop this or you're going to die like you're literally going All to right. die. Um, okay
0: besides dying were you worried about going to prison?
2: Well that too. And ironically like during this time I started watching Orange is the New Black. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. <laughs> so i was like it was like like, I was this like, is my life consciously <laughs> preparing for what was gonna happen to me i don't know <laughs> like, oh, shit. um oh, but yeah man. i mean of course i knew i was gonna i knew i was gonna end up um in in prison and you know i am not proud of what i've done there's not a day that doesn't go by that i'm like what the f- what the hell were you thinking did
0: like, you call your husband or your parents from the airport or anything
2: actually the first person i called um actually it was my husband. I called him and cause I was concerned that they were going to arrest me and take me to a DC jail. So I called him and I was like, if you get an, an, a phone call from a two zero two or an unknown number, I really need you to answer it. And he was like, what do you mean what's going on? So I told him. Um, and then the second phone call was to my best friend, uh, Kate who lives in DC. And then the third phone call, I called my sister, um, to tell her what was going on
0: you weren't ready to face mom and dad yet
2: no but ironically my mom was with my sister when i called my sister oh so i didn't i didn't tell my sister at the time i just told her i'd call her back um and so i called her back but then of course i told my mom um right after my dad had passed away by this point so my dad has not been around for any of this okay. um
0: okay so um yeah. all right so you're on the plane you're going back and you're thinking, okay, I've, my life, I've, I've just fucked up everything at this point. You're, you're probably having all kinds of, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what, what mm-hmm. would you, you're thinking about going to jail. You're thinking about all kinds of things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I didn't, you know, I've never, I've never been in trouble before. Like I said, I was, I didn't grow up in a, in a, you know, in a broken home and an abusive home, you know, where I was exposed to drugs, where, um, you know, a teenage mom, you know, all of these adverse childhood experiences that lead people to end up in prison. That wasn't my life. I had an education. I had a family. I had people around me that loved me. It was, it was this addiction that took hold of, of my life. And that's not an excuse. Like it's absolutely not an excuse. Mm. Um, I knew what I was doing was wrong. And then combined with, you know, these mental health issues that I had, I didn't know how to ask for help because I was Mm. ashamed. Mm. Um, you know, addressing these feelings of feeling like I was owed things because I worked hard. Like that's not how the world works. So like this whole process has really opened my eyes to, um, you know, these behaviors that I had that were not right. These thinking processes, these mental health issues and problems that I have, you know, I've always, I've never felt good enough my entire life. And I think my dad, saying that really subconsciously, you know, saying that I was the reason for him having an affair really affected me. Um, And I didn't realize it till I've become older. Um, So, you know, I've never felt good enough. I've never, I've always been like middle of the pack, right? Like I've always been like people never remember my name or they don't remember what I look like. So I've never felt good enough. And, you know, that, you know, when I was doing the drugs, like in the, I felt Like, I was fun and outgoing, right? To, like, combat those feelings of being inadequate. Yeah.
0: Had you ever stolen anything before that? Like, even a candy bar or anything?
2: No, not that I can remember. Um, Maybe when I was, like, little, little, you know, how little kids will, like, grab things. um, But not that I can remember. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So, eventually, you get arrested. What happened?
2: Yeah. So, I actually... I was very lucky to never have been arrested um and you know put in a county jail or anything like that the fbi so because it was a financial crime that occurred in dc it's on it's automatically federal um so mm. the mm. fbi took over my case um mm. I retained, I ended up having to retain an attorney in DC instead of Colorado because that's where I was being charged. Okay. So um, my attorneys out here in Colorado helped me find an attorney in DC, which this is also a whole story. Um, and he he helped me through the process, you know, negotiate, talk to the FBI. Um, we did what was called a reverse proffer in December of 2018, which is where we went and met with the FBI and they're like, here is here is the chart. Here is the evidence we have against you, and like here is your plea deal. And I was absolutely not going to fight it. I was not going to say no. I didn't do this. Like I did it, <laughs> um, and I needed to accept my punishment for it and what this and what that was going to be. So um, I officially pled guilty. Actually, on January 29th, which is my birthday, January 29th, 2019, I officially pled guilty. And then in May of 2019, I was sentenced to 27 months in federal prison. And I, um, I didn't get taken away immediately after I was sentenced. I was given the option to self-surrender, which, um, is important to note because not a lot of people get that luxury. It's literally a luxury to be sentenced to federal prison time and be able to walk out of that, of that courtroom. And then you have to report to prison on your own. So I had to report to prison in West Virginia, um, June 25th, 2019. So, um it was it was ironic how it was literally a year to the day that like i got caught and then i went to prison um
0: that so. year period mentally and emotionally had to just be horrible i mean every yeah. day you're waking up thinking what's going to happen how long mm-hmm. am i going to be i mean god that 12 months was a nightmare
2: it had yeah. to be yeah it was for sure and especially before um I met with the FBI in December of 2018. I was like always convinced that the FBI was gonna bust in my door and like arrest me and shoot my dogs. and like it was just, you know I, I lived in like this fear, but it it uh, was a man. result of my own decisions, right? Like, um, I don't wanna like I I don't feel bad for myself that I went through that because it was it was a result of my own decisions, like my poor decision making. Um, Yes, it was awful. Like I don't think I slept. I think
0: I don't know how you could. And how do you? How do you even get up? Like how do you get up with like goals and aspirations and a to do list when? And like when you're like, I I don't even know how you go get through the day. I don't know how you function like
2: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, and I would try to. My attorney was like, you know, just try to keep working if you can. You know, it. So I, you know, worked kind of like various jobs, but inevitably they would find out that I was being charged with a crime and they would fire me. Um, so wow. it was really difficult to find someone that would just like, give me, give me a chance before I had even been sentenced to anything.
0: And it had um, to also be hard to stay off of the booze and alcohol and drug or drugs and everything um, else. Yeah. I mean, during that 12 months is when I would have probably done the most drugs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I did drink. Uh, I did drink a lot. I didn't, I didn't go back to doing drugs or anything, but I did okay. drink um, yeah, as yeah. a way to kind of cope. Sure. Um, I- and, you know, of course, things weren't great between me and my husband, because he was completely blindsided by this thing that had happened. Um,
0: I Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to like defend him. But I mean, yeah, that would be that'd be hard to come back from you know because you broke down you just blew up a lot of trust right there you know 100
2: percent, yeah yeah and you know we ended up getting divorced um the divorce was finalized in august 2019 when i was in prison but um while while you were in prison okay yeah yeah so we filed for the divorce before um i went to prison and then you know just it takes a little bit sometimes to get it all finalized so it was fine who who filed he well we filed jointly we went to the courthouse together yeah um but he he and i kept in contact
0: okay Yeah. yeah was he just like i can't do this ashley
2: yeah i mean he just you know there were you know it's it's i don't blame him for feeling you know hurt and you know that like you said that trust was completely broken and um you know i hated this major thing from him and he had tried to confront me and help me with this addiction you know in the way that he knew how but i didn't know how to accept that help because i was in denial right about having an addiction like um yeah. you know thinking that i was going along fine
0: <laughs> Do you still love him
2: Um as a friend i hope he's you know i hope he's happy and i hope he's you know doing well i um, he kept, so we had two beagles, um, when I, when I went to prison and one of one of the beagles was kind of like mine. So when I came back home, um, and then went to home, what they call home confinement, um, I, he brought my dog to me. So, um, when Re- I had to put Remo down last, about a year ago, um, he mm. did come over and like say goodbye to him. And we had like kept in contact while I was incarcerated because he had my stuff, like, he was my power of attorney, you know, he, so he had, you know, the ability to pay my taxes for me, like, you know, deal with bills that would come. He had access to my bank accounts. You know, I try, I trusted him to. Do you deal. guys still, do you still so, talk
0: from time to time?
2: No, not really anymore. No.
0: Did he remarry?
2: No, he's dating someone from what I understand, but nope. I don't think okay. he's gotten remarried. Yeah.
0: Have you had any serious relationships since you got out of prison? Like, like, you know, like a, a boyfriend or anything or girlfriend. I, I don't have. Know. Yeah.
2: Yes, <laughs> I have had one. Um, uh, yeah, I have had one. It's we were together for about two and a half years. Oh. Um. Yeah, we actually met in the halfway house. <laughs> um. So he has a story of his own too, but he's doing well now. He um he owns his own business. It's a solar uh solar installation company here. Good and for him. Good
0: for him. Yeah. What happened? I what always happened? say what happened. Um,
2: he, it just, you know, he has his own addiction issues that have not been addressed. Um, I understand. Got prison it. is not the place where that will necessarily help with addiction issues if you can't get into the programming. Um, and he was in a penitentiary. He was in Florence, not the ADX, the um, penitentiary. Um, so, you know, that's good, a, a tough prison, it's, you know.
0: Good segue into helping people transition. Good segue here, right? <laughs> yeah so all right so get out so you you get out of prison you're divorced your family's disappointed still love you your friends are like some of them disappeared a lot of them probably disappeared
2: no you You, know my two three best friends have really i've always had a small circle of friends i've never been someone that's had a lot of friends. Um, I value those like close relationships I can have with people rather than saying I have a lot of acquaintances and three of my friends have really stuck by me through this. One of them, yeah. One of them came and visited me when I was in prison a few times. Um, You know, I talked to them the entire time I was there. Um, You know, my family is of course disappointed and I have to rebuild and repair those relationships and show them, um you know that i'm i'm more than that mistake i made and uh i am a a good person and i'm trying to rebuild my life but you know things take time sometimes yeah sure so, sure yeah
0: did you go right from prison to a uh, home confinement or to a halfway house or what's the mm-hmm. transition
2: yeah so i was actually released um for i was released in june of 2020 which was like peak COVID time Um, so I was released as part of the cares act that was passed when they were sending home individuals who were low risk for recidivism, who had met certain criteria. Um, so I was, yeah, I was partially sent home for that, but I had also filed a motion with my judge to sentence me to a specific amount of time in the halfway house, um, because I wanted to come out and I wanted to start working and paying my victims back. Um, because when I when I was incarcerated I could only pay them $25 a quarter towards my restitution and like that doesn't get very far so and also the prison I was at um, was not always the best about making sure your paperwork was submitted in time so you could have Mm. that ability to go to a halfway house or to home Mm. confinement Mm. Um, so it kind of took matters into my own hands so that was granted to me and she granted me 10 months in a halfway house. So I was released as a result of that motion that I filed, but also because of the cares act, I met specific criteria. So I got to the halfway house in June of 2020. Um, I had to fly on a plane from West Virginia to back to Denver, which was nerve wracking (laughs) because I had no cell phone, nothing.
0: (laughs) Mm, um, We could do a whole podcast on this next question, but I'd like for you to just give us a little bit of color around it all of us listening to this episode have seen numerous movies and TV shows about what prison might be like in the real world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was it? What was it like? That Was it pure hell, Ashley? Like, give us, can you just talk about it a little bit yeah. here?
2: Yeah. So I will, I will preface this by saying I was in a camp. Um, so there's different levels of federal prison. There's a camp, which is like minimum security, there's okay. an FCI, which is medium, and then there's penitentiaries, which are high security. Okay,
0: you're at the lowest of the, you're yeah. you're with the white collar criminals.
2: So I was with yes, I was <laughs> I was actually the prison Martha Stewart was at. <laughs> <I don't
0: laughs> so um
2: yeah, Alderson it was actually the first federal prison built for women um okay. way back in the day. So it has right. pretty interesting history, but Um, yeah, so it was a camp, like there's no, there was no barbed wire fence around it. Um, we lived in units like at the top of this hill, uh, and there were like four, like there were two really long buildings and then there were four units within each building. Um, and then each unit had, they were literally like cement cubes, um, that had a bunk bed. There was like a desk that was attached to the wall and then you each had your own locker. That was it.
0: Well, so pretty similar um, as far as the room goes, as far as the cell goes or the room, pretty mm-hmm. similar to what you see then on TV.
2: yeah. so on so orange is the new black Piper Kerman, who wrote the book. um she was she did prison time in Danbury, but the setting for that prison is actually based off of where I was, Alderson. Okay. So, um, okay. yeah, so we lived we could walk in and out of the unit as long as the compound wasn't closed or we were on lockdown. um, you okay. know, i did you have a
0: roommate did you have a roommate
2: yeah you get assigned yeah you get assigned i'm um, a roommate so you know did you have, a, did you have a terrible
0: roommate or did you have a good roommate how'd that no, work out? she was
2: great she was great she was actually from baltimore herself as well um so we had that in common and okay. yeah we got along um so that was good were there were there, you know, were
0: there fights were there people getting yeah
2: yeah there were definitely fights um women wow. can be just as brutal as men um you know wow. were you worried
0: all... were you scared
2: no i was i never felt like i was unsafe for or anything like that and it's... i actually um okay. i met some really incredible women that i'm still friends with to this day that i still Great. talk to Right. yeah Right. yeah this is
0: not one of those prisons where you had to join one of the gangs to stay safe no
2: no no That's nothing no, like that not no. nothing
0: like that here's another question this maybe be too personal but uh i'm just gonna hit you with it because i get direct on the show here Every time I see these prison stories, I, you know, all these, the, the, the men end up sleeping with the men, the women end up sleeping with yeah. the women because they're sex deprived and they, they, you know, they can't, or I didn't, are there, conj- are there conjugal visits or there, what, mm-hmm. what, what, ha- or, or did you just not have any sexual relations for 27 months, Ashley? Like,
2: yeah, that was, you just, yeah, so they call it, and if they call it going gay for the stay, uh, that, that, yeah,
0: that was gay not for me. Is that was not me.
2: I did not do that. I was, I was good on that. Um, but yeah, that happened. But I'm
0: sure that happens a lot.
2: It does. And I think it's, it's not necessarily sometimes always about the sexual relationship. It's also about like having that connection that I deep can see connection that connection with someone to like that. your go-to person, I can see um, that you know, having a support system because you really can't, it. you can't live your life on the outside when you're in the when you're inside, because you'll drive yourself crazy, wanting to know what your family is doing, what your significant other is doing. Like, Yes, you have to maintain that contact um, and that relationship, but you can't, you know, get up every day and wonder what that person is doing because they're also trying to live their life on the outside.
0: So you brought up an interesting thing right there. And I have actually thought about this when I watch movies or whatever, going gay for the stake Well, it's interesting. I didn't know that that was a term. But yeah, the um, emotional support of it or the companionship I would guess is, at least especially for women, is probably the most important thing. Like the physical act of it is there sometimes, but Mm -hmm. probably not the primary reason.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, And, you know, women, you know, a lot of these women have kids, right, that they're missing. And, you know, they can relate to other women who are going through the same thing. You know, I don't have kids, so... I don't know what that's like to have to leave my kids behind mm. i can oh, only yeah, imagine mm. um so you know that's also a lot you know a lot of the times where women <laughs> can you know find that common connection too
0: and what would you one more prison question and then we got to move off of that what'd you do all day i mean so did i you...
2: worked um, oh, okay. alderson <laughs> alderson was a working camp so we the inmates actually ran the camp so like we had ladies that worked in welding, they worked in laundry, oh, um, they worked okay. in HVAC. Um, I specifically worked in food service warehouse. So I learned how to drive a forklift. I did like inventory for like the whole warehouse where all the food yeah. was stored, um, oh, you know, unloaded the big trucks when they came with the forklift. So it it was really nice because it made the days go by really fast. I had a oh, yeah. oh for get sure. oh. in the morning. And yeah, yes, something. yes.
0: I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah. 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 yeah, Totally. Uh, okay. Very good. Did the half, did the halfway house, did that, did that suck?
2: Oh, it was terrible. It was awful.
0: Like worse than worse than the camp.
2: I think it was worse than the camp because really, um, for me personally, it was worse because I also did not get along with the program director. You know, when you have a white collar crime, like how I did, you have a stereotype that's attached to you that you're greedy, that you're selfish, that like you only care about yourself, and so interesting. Um, interesting. Yes, so you know I had a program director tell me that I'm selfish, I'm a narcissist, I'm incapable of changing my criminal way of thinking, I'm I'm going to end up back in prison. So halfway house was tough, um, wow. but the good thing about the halfway house is that you have the opportunity to get a job and go out and work. So when I came home, I immediately was like. I don't care what type of job I have. I need to do something to get out of here during Absolutely. the day yes. and bring and start that income coming back in. So my first job was working as a production associate for Goodwill of Colorado. Um, so basically, you know, I would sort through all the donated clothes, put them out on the floor, help them, you know, with the the flow of all of that. And then um, after doing that for about a month, so I have a master's degree in marketing from Johns Hopkins um, yes. and I was like, there's got to be a marketing company that will hire me. Like, so I just kept trying to apply, kept trying to apply. And finally, I um, applied with this company. It was called Social Connects. It was a woman-owned, women-owned company um, in Centennial, right, in the tech center area uh, here in Colorado. And it was just a small digital marketing, social media marketing agency and went for a couple of interviews. And at the end, I was, I was feeling really good about it. I felt like I had a really good chance at getting this job the marketing specialist. At and that so, moment,
0: when you were feeling good, did they know about the prison thing
2: yet? No. So that's when, so I had really, so I had a really hard time figuring out how to talk about my crime, how to disclose I, that to people. Believe and it. that was, believe it. that was one good thing about the halfway house. It taught because I had to disclose that to my employers because they would call and make sure you were at work. Like you said, you were. So I, I, I was feeling good about this job. And so I said to Gina, who was the owner of the company and my boss, I was like, I just want you to know, I want to be transparent. Like this is the situation I'm in. Um, you know, here's what I've learned from it and here's how I'm moving forward. Did and you like say that after the,
0: through. did you say that after they hired you or during the interview?
2: Um, I, I, I said it during the interview and then okay. two days later she offered me the job. <laughs> so, And, you know, after I, after I disclosed that to her, she was like, you know, I, everyone has a story. Everyone has a past. We've all done things. Some people get caught. Some people don't. Uh, She's like, but I look at you as a person that can bring value to, to my organization professionally, but also to me personally. And we can learn from each other. And I found okay. out later too, she actually, um, volunteers in Denver, Denver women's correctional facility. She's actually come in with breakthrough a couple of times as well, like mentoring women, you know, helping them get ready to come home.
0: Okay. Who is this person again?
2: Her name's Gina Shrek. Um, and what's
0: her com- what's her company.
2: So the company, the social media company is not the marketing agency is not around anymore, but she owns a co working space called the village workspace okay. down in Centennial. Um, kudos yeah. to her
0: you know it's it's yeah. people like her special people like that that give mm-hmm. folks like you a second chance and look mm-hmm. beyond what happened right like mm-hmm. big shout out to her for doing that because a lot of yeah. people wouldn't have given you that chance that's really cool right
2: yeah right, thank yeah. you thank you for, the, thank you for sharing that yeah and she really helped me believe that i could do this again because when i got out i was like oh i guess i'm just gonna work in construction or work in a warehouse because. You know that those are the industries that traditionally hire from this population True. but um True. i you know i met so many smart women when, when i was incarcerated you know doctors lawyers like oh, they man. just yeah you know one girl i was in there with she was a star softball player at the university of florida she had knee surgery and then became addicted um to opioids so it's you know everyone has a story and there's i met so many smart ladies when i was there and even through breakthroughs program i've met so many smart people um, You know, they just maybe have not had the opportunity growing up and now they're stuck with this label um, and this stigma. So, you know, they might not, Oh, you know, some people aren't willing to give them that opportunity because they believe the biases, they believe the stigma. And that's where Breakthrough is so amazing because we bring the community in with us to meet this population where they're at but gina really helped me understand that i can do this and then you know i am worthy of a job um and in the industry i want to work in so i'm really grateful That's to her yeah
0: all right i want to talk about breakthrough now but before i do that <clears throat> i've often thought about how many times i've done something that could have caused a prison sentence of some kind right like mm-hmm. Maybe when I was a young man, when I got in a fight, like, what if the guy had fallen and hit in his head and it killed him? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the times that uh, I've driven home and had too many drinks when I shouldn't have been driving, and I could have easily swerved and killed somebody. Like, right. you know, I've never stolen money or anything, but I've I've been in situations. Oh, here's a good one. I think I've I've said I've shared this story on the podcast when i was 19 no 18 maybe 18 19 um a friend of mine had me transport a bunch of marijuana in the trunk of my car from oklahoma to arkansas i went on a run i guess that's what they called it back yeah. then, right yeah uh hey i worked for him uh, we worked together he was my manager and he was selling marijuana on the side and i knew he was doing it but i was just kid like I, I didn't care like I, I had my own thing going on i was like i knew he was selling marijuana like i really didn't give a shit i was just you know chasing girls drinking beer i didn't care <laughs> and one day he was like hey man can you take this load for me you know i'll pay you 500 bucks to drive this over or whatever i don't even remember what it was and i was just like i remember and when i think back on it it was i was like okay yeah sure like whatever mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't even think about it like i didn't yeah. my little 18 year old brain never even registered the risk involved and and mm-hmm. i have often thought back like wow like if i had gotten caught at that back then and sent to prison for a few years like i my life would have been totally different like it would have yeah. been totally different my point is i'm sure at the camp there are numerous women like that mm-hmm. one little turn left or right they got caught other people didn't yeah. And now here they are. Right. Yeah. I, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, like the lady said, they gave you the second chance. So many of us have fucked up in so many ways. And quite frankly, some of us, some of us have just gotten lucky. I mean, mm-hmm. lucky, yeah. lucky. I, I, you know how many DUIs I probably should have had in my life.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, Me too. Honestly, before I got caught. Yeah. I,
0: I mean, you know, yeah. Anyway. All right. So how did you get connected with breakthrough? Mm-hmm and then talk to us about what breakthrough does.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, after I worked for Gina for a little while, I actually started working back for Goodwill of Colorado again as one of their marketing managers. And so I also had, um, I had to do community service as part of my supervised release. Um, I'm on probation still actually this may end of May this year. um, I will be off it finally. Um, But so I had to do 100 hours of community service, which I've always volunteered. So I didn't mind doing that. But I was like, I'd like to do something a little different. And I had heard so breakthrough used to be called um, Defy Colorado, they were part of a larger organization called Defy Ventures. And then in 2019, they broke off and became breakthrough. But I had learned about Defy when I was incarcerated. So I reached out um, to Breakthrough when I came home and I was like, Hey, do you guys have volunteer opportunities? Like I want to be involved with you. I actually asked them for a job um, because I was like, I really want to work. I can do marketing. And they just weren't hiring at the time. And, um, so I started with breakthrough in June of 2021 as a volunteer. I went into La Vista women's prison. Um, Good for you
0: were like, I want to even be involved. I'll work for free if I have yeah. to.
2: Yeah. And it's funny. So, you know, we have to fill out every volunteer going into a a prison facility has to fill out um, forms for the Department of Corrections. They run a background check on you. And I didn't even think about it. Um, You know, it it would ping my probation officer that the Department of Corrections was running a background check on me. And he called me and he was like, why is the DOC running a background check on you? Like, what is going on? And I was like, oh, I want to go in and volunteer with this program at at the women's prison. It's called Breakthrough. And his first question to me was, well, why would you want to do that? And I was like, why not? Why not to help people? Yeah. Why not go back in and show these women that they don't have to be defined by this situation that you can come out and be successful and give back if you choose to. Um, so, you know, he of course approved for me to go in the facility and, and volunteer. So that's how I got started with breakthrough. I did a little bit of, um, contract marketing work for them in 2022 and then um, in July of this year, of 2023, I started on as their director of business development. So I still do all their marketing and communications, but I also help um, with their development strategy, bringing in fair chance employers to not only volunteer with us, but also understand what it means to be fair chance a fair chance employer and hire from our people that are released. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about how I got involved.
0: I think it's fantastic. The website is time timetobreakthrough.org. Right? Yes, correct. The company is called Breakthrough, but the website yep. is time to dot org. Yep, and it's a nonprofit, right?
2: Yes, correct.
0: And and your primary mission is to help people transition coming out of prison, so they don't screw up and go back.
2: Yeah, yeah. We like to say we. Um, We really pride ourselves on changing the lives of incarcerated individuals, but also work to shift the community's perception of the incarcerated population. So um, we have, you know, involvement with Breakthrough for People on the Inside begins with our in-facility educational program called The Challenge. Um, It addresses soft skills for employment, job readiness, reentry planning, and the entrepreneurial mindset. And then once someone finishes the challenge, if they still have time left on their sentence, we still continue to engage with them. It's pretty common that prison programs, you know, you'll go through through the program and then that's kind of it. Um, we don't want our people to feel like they've gone through this transformative experience and then we forget about them. So if they still have time left on their sentence, we continue to engage with them through quarterly workshops in the facilities, um, which we call the transformation. And Those workshops, they can continue to address job readiness, the soft skills. Um, We've had employers come in and do specific types of workshops on like the entrepreneurial mindset. We've brought in other community partners to talk about the resources that they have available um, for them when they come out. Because we are a small organization. There's only eight of us that work there. So we can't yeah okay. we can't do everything and if if another organization is already doing something really well we don't need to necessarily create the wheel you know we really value these partnerships with other other organizations that are trying to help the same population that we are mm-hmm. um so when someone comes out um that's when they become eligible for all of our re-entry support and they meet with our re-entry team uh, we immediately work with them to address all their stability factors so making sure they have safe housing um, transportation if they don't have a car making sure that they have bus passes um, that they can use to get around um, employment is of course another critical stability factor that has to be addressed but also anything else like they need access to mental health treatment or substance misuse treatment, um, you know, access to food. So making sure we can get them signed up for SNAP and EBT and all of that. Um, we also give them a welcome home pack when they return home. And that contains a cell phone with 90 days of data, as well as a Google Chromebook that was donated by a corporate partner of ours. So our reentry specialist works with them to help Uh, help that digital literacy aspect, right, because everything is done online. And unfortunately, we can't have computers in the facilities like how we can right now. So when they come home, we immediately begin to work with them to help them understand how to use their cell phone, how to use their Chromebook so they can go online and apply for jobs and upload their resume, find housing, um, all of that stuff. And um, we continue to engage with them for as long as they need our help. Um, you know, it's common for reentry support to only last a year or two, but we continue to engage with people for as long as they need it and as long as they need that support as well.
0: As you've talked about these wonderful things you're doing for these folks, my mind immediately goes towards, do you have a line of people trying to get into the program? <laughs> you only have eight employees. You only have so much money. You only have so, much, so mm-hmm. many resources. How do you decide who to help and who not to? Because I'm assuming the line is long of people saying, please help me.
2: Yeah, so right now we're in four facilities. Um, we're in uh, La Vista Women's Facility. We're in Arkansas Valley, uh, which is the men's facility. And then we're also in Colorado State Penitentiary and Centennial Correctional Facility, uh, which are in Canyon City. So we're, we operate in four facilities right now. And there is an application process for people to get into our program. We work really closely with the Department of Corrections um, and really value that relationship because they allow us into the prison to deliver this programming. But we work really closely with the case manager at each facility um, to help spread the word about breakthrough and encourage people to apply for the program. Uh, we work with the case managers to identify people who are a good fit to apply. Um, you know, they can't have gotten in trouble in the last six months to a year. Um, and then when they're in the program, they also can't get into trouble or get written up for anything because they do get kicked out. So, um, you know, we want people that are serious about their transformation and about coming home and about wanting to come home and be successful. That being said, uh, we do take people in the program that have life sentences, uh, which some people are surprised by because, you know, they're like, well, they aren't coming home. Why would you invest in these people? And I like to say, well, that community on the inside is their community. Maybe they're trying to change the way the culture, like the culture in the facility, you know, make it safer for everyone, both um, the incarcerated individuals, as well as the staff that works there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we don't, just because someone isn't getting out doesn't mean that they still can't make their life better for themselves when they're incarcerated.
0: What percentage of prisoners would you say are I screwed up one time, I made a big ass mistake and I'm here versus I'm a lifelong crazy ass criminal.
2: Hmm. I have to go back and look at our our data specifically because we do collect data on people. You know how many instances have were you arrested as a juvenile? You know, how many times yeah. have you been arrested or incarcerated before? Um, I will say that the common theme, I guess that we see is um, a lot of the men in particular were really young when they when they first engaged with the justice system. Um, a lot of the people overall in the program, you know, single mother, maybe there was an abusive situation, um, substance misuse issue. They grew up um, in an unsafe neighborhood where they heard gunshots. So uh, all those adverse childhood experiences that people don't realize, um, how it impacts their behavior as they get older. You
0: were the minority, you you being a, a, a private school kid riding horses, you're, you're the, the minority of the type of
2: prison. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and we okay. actually do this really cool exercise um, at two of our milestone events in the facility. It's called Step to the Line. So our participants line up on one side and the volunteers on another. And then Stacy, um, who you know, she will read off a series of sentences and if it applies to you you step forward. So for example, one of the one of the sentences could be I heard gunshots in my neighborhood growing up. I you see. step forward if that applies to you. Or it could be I drove after having one too many drinks, then you step forward. But it's a really good way for our volunteers to see how they could have ended up on the other oh, side. Yeah, no doubt. But also for yes. our participants to realize that they probably have more in common with that person across from them than they realize. Like, for mm, no example, doubt. I yes. I stepped yep. forward when Stacy asked the question. I, you know, I was sentenced to more than two years in prison. So like okay. Obviously I'm aware of what I look like. People don't think that I've been in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really good way to bridge those gaps and cut down those biases and help people help our participants and our volunteers realize that they probably have more in common than they
0: do. I know we're, we're over on time, but you got time for a couple more questions. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to stretch you here. Uh, What percentage of people you deal with have a, a mental illness of some kind?
2: Um, I'm trying to think, um,
0: and I'm talking from bipolar to whatever, right? Yeah,
2: we don't we don't ask specifically if they have a diagnosed mental health issue. Like we don't. Um, we do ask if they've had mental health troubles in the past, um, because part of our program does does it's evidence based, but we also use um, it's called dialectical behavior therapy and then cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm, So, you know, we want people to change their thinking patterns and be able to address those issues that they're having and then how they can change their thinking patterns.
0: I see how many people come out that still have a major drug addiction. And as soon as they come out, you're, you're looking at them going, okay, this, the, the chances of this person grabbing some, some drugs are high.
2: So that's where our reentry team is really critical. Um, our, recidiv- our recidivism rate overall stands at six percent. Um, this, for comparison, the state of Colorado is about thirty-seven percent. So it has decreased. It used to be um, around forty-five percent. So wow. they've done a good okay. they've done a good job in decreasing that recidivism rate. But ours stands at six percent. Um, when someone comes home and engages with us in their welcome home meeting that I was talking about, uh, that recidivism rate has dr- dropped. One percent. We've only had one person recidivate that has come home and engaged with us in those reentry wow, support services. That, that yeah, so tough. that's why that wraparound care is so critical for someone coming home, especially if they have a mental health issue or a substance misuse issue. Um, mm. And we actually have we do have one program that operates in the community. Uh, it's called Circle of Hope. Uh, it's every Friday night at Cross Purpose. It's hosted at Cross Purpose with their Live Different Recovery. Um, program that they have and so circle of hope is a place for people to come and get support um, you know feel part of a community if they need it Um, and we help them address those thinking patterns that could lead to a relapse um, or you know help them find resources that they might need if they are in need of substance misuse treatment or mental health access as well
0: could you help more people if you had more donations and more employees
2: um absolutely we are like you mentioned we are a non-profit so um you know we rely on the support of our individual donors we also you know we do traditional grant writing opportunities um when we can corporate partnerships all of that but yeah you know we're only able to expand our impact if we have the support behind us as well
0: time to breakthrough.org that's where people need to go if they want to make donations or if they want yes. to make contact okay yes sure. um Here's a conspiracy theory conspiracy theory question for you. Are the people that have investments in the prison and prisons secretly rooting against you because they need these people to come back to prison to keep their money train going?
2: Ah, uh, so those private prisons um that <laughs> my you know, those companies that my dad worked for, ironically, yeah. you know, uh-huh. there is, you know, <laughs> private prisons are an interesting thing uh-huh. right because why should you be profiting of you know, people will say why should you be profiting off of someone making a mistake ultimately um you know i will say you know the department of corrections has been really wonderful to work with um we've you know they allow us into the facilities to deliver this program because they don't want to see people come back um you know just are you sure are you I'm- sure
0: because i've had people on the i've had people on the podcast that do similar things that you do mm-hmm. that think that, think that- they do want you to come back.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to think that for sure. You know, I've had my own struggles while I've been on probation, um, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, right. About, you know, how, how probation could be reformed. You know, if someone, let's say someone misses a UA because they had to work overtime or something like that, um, that could be grounds for sending someone back to prison because of the violation. So (laughs) You know Ooh, there's great. there's very there's different parts of the system in the way that they intersect that okay. of course need to be addressed i will say that you know in the people that i've we've worked with at the department of corrections i've you know they've been really invested in how breakthrough okay. can help people come home and be successful. good
0: good to know have you ever been tempted to do some cocaine since you've been out
2: absolutely not <laughs> no 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 i'm good
0: uh, yeah. uh yeah do you, are you able to have a glass of wine can you do that without- yeah
2: I, yeah every now and again um but it's interesting as i've gotten older i'm kind of like Meh, i could you know i don't have to you know when you're younger you kind of have that mindset like you have to drink yeah. to have a good time um, yeah i'm good
0: very good well i'm uh, super proud of everything that you've accomplished and done since you've been out i'm happy for you
2: thank you i appreciate you have a, that. You
0: have a really inspiring story and you're perfect for helping people and you're so well spoken spoken and your presentation is so great no wonder they moved you from marketing into biz dev <laughs> i mean you. you know uh you can do both right cuz you really present well you, you know your communication style is great um and i can see why they they moved you into that for sure so Thank congratulations you. on on everything you you've done i, I you know uh you're a, you're a, have you thought about writing a book <laughs>
2: someone else, I was at a conference in October and I was on a panel where I talked about my story, just kind of like how you and I were just talking and someone else said that same thing. Um, Maybe, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people that have my story. There is. Uh,
0: Okay. So yes, that's true. Right. And there's thousands of books that have been launched already like that. And I'm sure there's a million people in the U S with a story very similar to yours. mm -hmm. However, your personality and you're the way you communicate, I think, is the is, is the difference, oh,
2: thank especially you. if
0: you did like an audio version. Oh, um, well, thank you. You know, I think you should consider it, if nothing else, just to have something documented for your legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know? Yeah. But hey, if you, if you wrote a book and you put it on Amazon and you sell 10 copies, okay, yeah. whatever like you yeah. have it you have it on your shelf that you can look at when you're 70 and be like hey here's my story
2: yeah i did that thing yeah that's yeah. true you know yeah uh, well thank so, you <laughs> ashley thank
0: you for being on the Flex podcast yeah. and sh- thank you for having me yeah thank you. It.
2: thank you thank you